Welcome to Twisted Tales of Madness and Murder presents The Pine Box. This tale begins in the evening hours in a rundown barracks at a World War II prison camp for American soldiers. Sergeant McCready, in his 30s, weathered-looking, lays on top of a crudely constructed bunk bed, wearing faded green military-issued pants and a thick, cold-weather jacket. His hands are covered by worn-out gloves that have had most of the fingers removed. McCready casually flips through a German pornographic magazine, stopping on a full-page layout. That's the type of bush I wouldn't mind myself getting all tangled up in. Corporal Brown in his 20s, Private Parker in his 20s, and Private Mettler in his 20s, all dressed in ragged, cold-weather military clothing, sit around a small, makeshift wooden table playing poker with a half-burned deck of cards. Captain Marler, in his 40s, wearing only a pair of white urine-stained underwear, crouches in the far corner of the barracks, rocking back and forth on his bloody heels, mumbling incoherently to himself. A collection of other soldiers lay in their bunks throughout the barracks. Parker, smiling, looks at his cards. <laughs> oh my god. I feel so sorry for you cocksuckers right now, because I am fucking feeling it tonight. Mettler just shakes his head in disgust. You know what, that's the same line of bullshit you talk every night, asshole. When you finally decide to throw your damn cards down, all you ever have is a handful of nothing. Brown suddenly throws his cards down. Once you two are done jerking each other off, you can go ahead and pay up. <laughs> Parker and Mettler both look down at the cards, then in unison, throw their cards at Brown in disgust. The front door to the barracks suddenly swings open, allowing a burst of cold air along with a flurry of snowflakes to drift in, drawing everybody's instant attention. Except for Marler. Lieutenant Perkins, in his 30s, bundled in newer cold-weather gear, hurries in and quickly closes the door, causing McCready to casually glance over at him, sighs, then goes back to looking at the magazine as the other men go back to playing cards. Perkins looks at the men inquisitively as he brushes the snow off his coat and boots. Make sure you all bundle up tonight, because it's going to be a cold one, gentlemen. McCready, holding up and studying the centerfold of a voluptuous brunette, laughs. It's no wonder you were promoted to first lieutenant with such witty observations like that, sir. Perkins looks over at McCready and is about to say something, but notices Marler in the corner. What in the world? Perkins hurries over to Marler. Sir? Marler ignores Perkins as he rocks back and forth faster. Sir, I really think it would be best for you to get into your bunk. You're going to catch pneumonia. Perkins grabs Marler's arm, but Marler knocks his hand away. Perkins, frustrated, looks back at the others. What is wrong with you men? 
How can you sit there and let this happen? This is your commanding officer. You need to be looking after him. <laughs> well, if you haven't noticed, that man isn't capable of commanding his own bodily functions right now, Lieutenant. Perkins, with a look of anger on his face, stares at McCready. What has happened to you, Sergeant? This man is your commanding officer, and regardless of what you think, he deserves your respect. Besides, he will get better. It's just a matter of time. McCready, irritated, tosses the magazine down. Really? Is that so? McCready jumps down off the bunk and casually walks over to Marler and grabs his head, causing him to stop mumbling. What do you think you're doing, Sergeant? Take your hands off him right now. McCready twists Marler's head to the side, exposing an area of his hair that had been shaved and replaced with a crudely done stitch line that is infected and leaking a yellowish pus. Do you not see this? You really think he's going to get better? Would that be before or after Dr. Frankenstein gives him back that chunk of brain he pulled out? Perkins steps up to McCready. You need to stow that shit right now, Sergeant, and take your damn hands off him now. Perkins shoves McCready away, causing him to stumble back as Marler goes back to mumbling. Perkins grabs a blanket off one of the bunks and puts it over Marler. Sir, you are not feeling well right now and really need to get back into your bunk. You need to get some more rest. Perkins looks over at the guys playing cards. Are you really going to sit there playing cards and let this happen? I seriously cannot believe I need to order one of you to get over here and help me. Brown, get on your feet and assist your captain. Brown looks over at Perkins with disgust. Yes, sir. Brown tosses his cards down. Like right now, Brown. Brown gets up and hurries over to Perkins. What do you want me to do? Just grab his other arm and help me get him back to his bunk. Brown reaches down and grabs hold of Marler's other arm, and they slowly stand him up and walk him over to a bunk laying him down carefully as McCready looks over at them laughing. <laughs> You're wasting your fucking time right now. Is it not apparent to you that he's a fucking vegetable? It's only a matter of time before he... The front door suddenly swings open and bangs against the side of the building. General Hertz, in his 50s, wearing a neatly pressed German uniform, covered in various accommodations and ultra-shiny boots, steps into the barracks with two armed German soldiers, right behind him with their weapons raised, standing guard at the door. McCready and the others quickly snap to attention and scramble to the center of the barracks and form a line in front of the bunks as Hertz casually steps up to the line and slowly looks at all the men. This is very disappointing for me to witness, gentlemen. We will certainly need to work on your speed in which you form a line. However, that can wait for another time. This evening, I have some very unfortunate news to share with you regarding our special friend, Private Wren. Hertz takes a deep breath, 
then slowly walks down the line, looking each soldier up and down very closely. Due to his weakened condition, Private Wren was unable to survive the surgery I was performing on him. You must know, I did everything in my ability to resuscitate him. I exhausted all possible avenues to keep him alive. Hertz puts his hand over his heart. You must know that I feel terrible about his passing, and it pains me deeply. I wish I could have done more for him. It truly saddens me to have to disseminate this information to you about your fellow comrade. Hertz glances over and notices Marler in his bunk, mumbling to himself. Oh my. It would appear that we have a soldier refusing to fall in line this evening. Captain Marler is not feeling well, sir. Hertz, annoyed, snaps his head in Perkins' direction. Did I ask you to speak? Because I do not remember granting you permission to speak, Lieutenant. No, sir. Hertz smirks at Perkins, then turns and walks over to Marler as the men remain silent and continue to stare straight ahead. Hertz looks down at Marler. Captain Marler. Marler stares straight up as he continues to mumble to himself. Can you hear me, Captain? Hertz snaps his fingers in front of Marler's face, getting no reaction. This is very interesting. It would appear to me that the good Captain has gone and made his way around the bend. Hertz reaches down, grabbing Marler's head and forcing it to the side, studying the stitchwork. This is not looking very good, is it? Hmm. I will be the first to admit it. This is not my best work. But when all is said and done, it could have turned out far worse. McCready shakes his head in amazement. Not much. Hertz, angry, spins around. Who spoke? Hertz glares at the men who say nothing. Did I imagine it? Perhaps in my old age, my ears are playing tricks on me. Hertz looks down the line at the men. Nobody? Hertz lets out an annoyed sigh, then walks over to Perkins and stares into his eyes. It would appear that your commanding officer has found himself on the useless side of things and unable to command his soldiers anymore. Following your rank structure, that would put you in charge, yes? That is correct, sir. Well, since that is the case and you are in charge now, then act the part and keep these men in line, Lieutenant. I will not condone insubordination among soldiers in my care. Is that understood, Lieutenant? Yes, sir. Hertz smiles as he lightly slaps Perkins on the cheek. Excellent! Now, as your first official duty as commanding officer of these barracks, I would like you to select me a volunteer. Perkins, concerned, looks at Hertz. A volunteer? Uh, if you don't mind me asking, sir, but for what kind of detail? Hertz rubs his chin as he looks down the line at the men. I had every intention of making this an early evening, because you have no idea how exhausting it is dealing with the day-to-day activities providing such wonderful accommodations to all of you. However, I've suddenly found myself motivated and inspired 
and in the mood to do a little extracurricular activity. Hertz looks down the line at the men, then back at Perkins. So, Lieutenant, have you decided who the lucky soldier is going to be this evening that will be accompanying me back to my barracks? Perkins looks down the line, then looks back at Hertz. I can't possibly pick one of my men, sir. Hertz suddenly reaches out and grabs Perkins, pulling him in close. Well, since you are unable to select a soldier for me, then I must assume you are volunteering yourself? No, sir. Perkins looks down the line, then back at Hertz. I volunteer Brown. Hertz, smiling, slowly lets go of Perkins. Now, was that so hard? You can make a decision under pressure. A natural-born leader you are. Hertz looks down the line at Brown and smiles. He will certainly do. Brown, nervous, looks down at Perkins and Hertz as Hertz looks back at the guards. Would you please escort our friend over to my barracks and prep him for the detail? The two guards snap to attention and march toward Brown. Come on now, wait a second here. Lieutenant, don't let them take me. I don't want to go. Perkins ignores Brown as Hertz looks down at his watch, then at Brown. Time is ticking, my friend. Brown walks over to Hertz and falls to his knees. Sir, please. I'll, I'll do whatever you want. Hertz looks down at Brown. My dear boy, this I already know. Hertz snaps his fingers, causing the guards to seize Brown, who struggles and screams as they drag him by his feet Somebody help toward me. the door. Don't, don't, don't let them do this to me! Don't just stand there and do nothing! I, I thought we were friends! All the men continue staring forward, ignoring Brown. You fucking bastard! Your time will come! One by one, each of you will be next! I hope you all burn in hell! Brown digs his fingernails into the wood, desperately trying to stop. Help! Several of Brown's fingernails snap off, remaining stuck in the wood as the guards drag him toward the door. Brown is able to get his bloody fingers through a gap in the floorboards, temporarily stopping himself as he looks up at everyone with tear-filled eyes. I don't want to die like this. I just want to go home. The guards jerk on Brown, trying to break free his grasp, but to no avail. Brown looks up at the ceiling. God, please, God, do something. Don't let this happen to me. Hertz walks over and stands in front of Brown. I have no idea why in the world you are looking up and begging to God, when God is standing right in front of you. Hertz stamps down on Brown's fingers with the heel of his boot, snapping the bones. Brown howls in agony as the guards are finally able to jerk him free and drag him out the door and down the wooden steps into the snow. Hertz stands at the door watching as Brown is dragged into another building, then turns to the men. I hope you all have a pleasant evening. And what is that phrase they say in America? Oh yes, 
Sleep tight and don't let the bed bugs bite. Hertz, laughing, walks out slamming the door as all the men relax as Perkins turns to McCready. I cannot believe you, Sergeant. What the hell were you thinking? Laughing, McCready turns to walk away, but Perkins grabs him and slams him against the wall. Do you not see the big picture here? If we don't work together, we're not going to get out of this place. Things are in motion I can't talk about, but... We just need to stay cool, because help is on the way. McCready, in one fluid motion, knocks Perkins' hands free and flips him on his back on the floor, then puts his boot on his neck. Don't go fooling yourself, Lieutenant, because back in the real world, you were a person with some power and relevance. Maybe you haven't figured it out yet, but you're no longer in the real world, so you can take that butter bar off your lapel and shove it right up your ass. Perkins struggles to speak as McCready keeps the pressure on his neck. You've lost your mind, Sergeant. When we get out of here, and I guarantee you we will be getting out of here, I'm gonna have you brought up on charges. You are fucking delusional, man. Are you serious? Do you also believe in unicorns and pots of gold at the end of the fucking rainbow? McCready glances around at the others. You know what? How about we all do this? Let's take a quick poll of the men, shall we? Who actually thinks we're getting out of this place alive? Anybody? Everybody remains silent. That's exactly what I thought the response would be. McCready looks back down at Perkins. One by one, the only way any of us are getting out of this place is in one of those fucking pine boxes after our wonderful host Frankenstein has his way with us. You're wrong, Sergeant. This war will end one day, and we will be rescued. We need to bide our time, but do what we are told and remain positive. McCready steps down harder on Perkins' neck, causing Mettler to take a step toward him. What are you doing, Sergeant? You gotta let him up. You're gonna kill him. McCready glares at Mettler. Do you want to take his place private? Mettler stands motionless. Then I suggest you shut your fucking mouth and stay in your sector. Mettler, without saying anything, takes several steps back as Perkins lets out several gasps for air, causing McCready to release some pressure. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. Did you have some more useless information or orders you would like to piss out of your mouth? Do you even care that your comments could have very well been the reason Brown was taken? McCready casually shrugs his shoulders. Don't try and spin your inability to lead on me, Lieutenant. If you were a real leader and had balls, then you would have sacrificed the one soldier amongst us that is useless, basically knocking on death's door as we speak. McCready points over at Marler, then looks back down at Perkins. Or you would have sacrificed your own sorry ass, but you didn't. You chose self-preservation, so climb the fuck down from your soapbox already. Let me go right now, Sergeant. Whatever you say, sir. McCready removes his boot from Perkins's throat, allowing Perkins to sit up as he rubs his neck that is all red. McCready casually walks back to his bunk. 
Just for the record, sir, if you ever put those crumb grabbers on me again, I will fucking kill you. McCready glances back at Perkins. Hopefully we have an understanding between us now. McCready winks at Perkins, then turns back to his bunk and climbs back into it, then goes back to reading the magazine as several of the other men walk over and help Perkins to his feet. All of a sudden, Brown's screams can be heard as McCready turns the magazine and looks at the centerfold. Well, would you listen to that? It's safe to say those are certainly not screams of happiness and pleasure. <laughs> My guess is that we can expect a visit from the old man to collect Brown's things in the morning. Perkins, still rubbing his throat, looks back at McCready, then looks out the window at the building where Brown's screams are coming from. The next day, the door to the barracks swings open, and Hertz comes walking in with his two armed guards right behind him. Lucas, in his sixties, dressed in tattered clothing, slowly makes his way up the steps and into the barracks. Hertz stops and looks back at Lucas. What is your issue? It always seems as if I am asking you to hurry up. Hertz turns and looks out at the men, still sleeping in their bunks. Has something changed? Do we no longer form a line when your commanding officer pays you a visit? The men all scramble out of their bunks and form up on the line as Hertz looks at Perkins. Good morning, Lieutenant. I hope you slept well. Would you be as so kind as to point me in the direction of Brown's bunk? Of course. It's right over there. Perkins points at a bunk as Hertz turns around and looks at Lucas, snapping his fingers and pointing at the bunk. Why are you still standing there? Get over there and gather the needed items! Lucas nods, then limps his way over to the bunk. You are a pathetic excuse for a German. Such a feeble little man. Hertz looks at the men. I hope you're all well-rested and full of energy on this beautiful morning, because I have a most wonderful detail in store for you all. Courtyard, now, and I shall explain my expectations. The men quickly toss on their boots and coats and make their way toward the door. McCready is making his way toward the door when Hertz sticks his arm out, stopping him. You, stay and help the old man with whatever he needs. Understood? Yes, sir. McCready hurries over to the old man as Hertz and his two guards follow the other men out into the courtyard. Lucas is struggling with Brown's trunk when McCready grabs one end and they pick it up. Lucas looks up at McCready with appreciative eyes and nods. Ah, thank you. You're welcome. McCready glances back at the door, making sure they are alone, then looks back at Lucas. Why do you let him treat you like that? I have no choice. He has taken my daughter as his bride. If I do not do what he says, he will have her killed as well as my entire family. Because of my daughter's position, I can make sure none of your friends... And fellow soldiers 
just get dumped in a mass grave. What? Lucas places his end of the trunk on the ground, followed by MacReady. This war has created nothing but monsters. Monsters that do things to other human beings that should not be done. I have been witness to too many mass graves. Bodies just rolled on top of each other and covered up. Those images are forever seared into my mind. I have vowed to myself I would do whatever I needed to do to make sure it doesn't happen again. Lucas looks out the door at Hertz, then back at MacReady. That man is one of those monsters and cares nothing for any of you. The only reason he doesn't kill you all right now is because he has this sick fascination with cutting people open and experimenting on them. The guy is a fucking lunatic. He's lost his mind. He needs to be stopped. Yes, he does. But he has too much power. He controls everything and everybody. But you're not a prisoner. I watch you walk out of this place every night along with other people. Just grab your daughter and family and get away from here. I have already told you. He will kill my entire family. I have no place to go that the Reich could not find us. So my place is here, and along with the help of my older son, we ensure your soldiers get the best possible burial. McCready looks out the door, then back at Lucas. Well, I just happen to know of a place where they wouldn't be able to find you and your family. There is such a place. Just a little place called America. America? That's right, buddy. Home of the free. And what if I could get you and your family there? That would be such a fantastic thing. But how would you do such a thing? Lucas motions to the barracks surrounding him. You have not forgotten that you are a prisoner here, have you? You get me out of this hellhole and in return, I return the favor. I figure, hey, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, and... Not just yours, but your entire family. My entire family? That's right. Every single one of them, including your daughter. And what way do you think I can get you out of this place? MacReady tosses his hands up in the air. I have no fucking clue. That's up to you to decide, my friend. What is taking so long? Hurry up already. MacReady quickly bends down and picks up the trunk. But don't think too long. Lucas picks up his end of the trunk, and they make their way toward the door, just as one of the soldiers comes in and stares at them. MacReady looks over at the soldier as they pass by, shaking his head. (laughs) Fucking old people. MacReady and Lucas walk out of the barracks. A couple of days later, MacReady is clearing away rocks. Lucas walks up and directs him toward a spot between two barracks that are covered in shadows. Okay, I have found a way to get you out of here. Really? What is the plan? When do I get out of here? 
as soon as somebody dies. When the next person dies, the coffin is left in the morgue until early morning, then is moved to the burial site. Wait a second, I'm not following you here. How the hell is somebody dying supposed to get me out of here? You are going to get in the coffin and get buried, and then me and my son will dig you back up after all the coast is clear. McCready looks at Lucas in shock. What in the fuck are you talking about? Lucas looks around, ensuring nobody has noticed them, then looks back at McCready. You get in the coffin, and I will di- I heard you the first time when you told me this crazy plan of yours. You fucking want me to climb into a coffin with a dead body and actually get buried in the ground? That's your big plan to get me out of this place? I've looked at many options, and this is the only one that has a chance of success. McCready looks around. Last time I checked, you stick a person in the ground and bury them. There's a little thing called lack of oxygen. I will fucking suffocate. You must relax. You will not be down there long enough to run out of air. You've lost your mind, old man. There is no fucking way I'm getting in some pine box and getting buried. You're telling me there is no other way. Lucas shrugs his shoulders. Like I said, this is the only way you are getting out of here and getting your freedom back. Is this something you do not want? McCready rolls his head around on his shoulders, then looks at Lucas. Okay, fine. I'll do it. Once I get you out, how long will it take you to get my family out of here? McCready snaps his fingers. Just like that. So how long before we do this? That really depends. Depends on what? We have to wait for somebody to die. However, you have the ability to speed things up. What do you mean I can speed things up? Well, without a dead body, there is no authorization to build a coffin. So unless you want to wait... And pray Hertz doesn't pick you for some kind of experiment, and you end up as a dead body, then maybe you could speed things up. McCready steps up close to Lucas. Am I hearing you right with what you want me to do? You want me to kill one of my fellow soldiers. Put one of my friends in a fucking box. How you choose to look at the situation is entirely up to you. All I am saying is you have the option to make this plan happen sooner than later. McCready takes a step back, smiling. You know what? I have just the person. Shit, it will actually be a mercy killing. I just need to find the right time. McCready slaps Lucas on the arm. You better get all the needed wood ready because you'll be getting the authorization to build that coffin very soon. Very good. I must go. Lucas scans the area, then walks away as McCready goes back to moving rocks. Later that evening, McCready sits on his bunk staring over at Marler, who is just laying down and staring at the top of the bunk above him when Perkins all of a sudden comes walking in. Don't go getting cozy in your bunks just yet. I've just been informed that Hertz wants us over at the main building to watch some kind of film. Film? Propaganda about how bad we Americans are, I'm sure. Fantastic. 
McCready jumps down off his bunk and claps his hands together several times. Let's go, gentlemen. You heard the lieutenant. The men all start walking out the door as Perkins looks over at McCready with surprise. Thank you. McCready winks at Perkins. Just doing my best to stay positive, sir. McCready makes his way toward the door and walks out, followed by Perkins. As they walk across the courtyard, Perkins suddenly stops McCready as the other men filter into the building. I know me and you have not been on the best of terms and all, but I must tell you something. Perkins looks around to make sure nobody can hear him. I've got... You are wasting my time, Lieutenant. Perkins turns to find Hertz standing by the door. On our way, sir. Perkins turns back to McCready. I'll tell you later. Perkins turns and they walk over and into the building. All the men are standing in the building, watching a film of Adolf Hitler. McCready, who is standing in the back, casually looks around, making sure nobody is watching, then turns to one of the guards by the door and makes a sour look as he motions to his stomach. The guard looks down at McCready's stomach, then at him, then motions toward the door. McCready, holding his stomach, walks out the door, then turns around, making sure he is not being watched, then hurries across the courtyard to the barracks within. He quietly closes the door, then walks over to the window and looks out, ensuring that he was not followed. Perfect. McCready turns around, then slowly walks over to Marler, who is laying on his back with his eyes wide open and mumbling incoherently. McCready, shaking his head, looks down at him. Fuck, we should have done this for you a while ago. McCready grabs a pillow off the top bunk, then holds it above Marler's face. This is for your own good. Time to meet your maker, Captain. McCready takes a deep breath, then shoves the pillow down over Marler's face, which causes his legs to thrash about and his arms to swing out wildly. McCready continues holding the pillow down. Damn, you've got yourself some fight in you. McCready pushes the pillow down harder. Just die already. Marler's legs and arms slow down. That's it. What the fuck are you doing? McCready looks up to find Perkins standing on the other side of the bunk. What needs to be fucking done? Perkins charges over and grabs McCready's arms, pulling them away, along with the pillow which allows Marler to breathe, then go back to mumbling. You've lost it, Sergeant. McCready, angry, quickly punches Perkins in the stomach, dropping him to the ground, gasping for air. What the fuck did I say about putting those fucking crumb grabbers on me again, asshole? Perkins looks up just as McCready steps behind him, putting him in a headlock. I said I would fucking kill you, and I am a man of my fucking word. And since you stepped up and volunteered for this assignment, then I gotta make it look fucking legit. Hey, a body is a body. 
McCready tightens his arm around Perkins's throat, causing Perkins to struggle and kick his feet. You can actually consider this a favor since now you won't have to worry about being all cut to ship by Frankenstein. McCready watches as Perkins's body suddenly goes limp. Then he lets go, letting the body fall to the floor. You were such a pathetic piece of shit. McCready hurries over to the window and looks out, making sure nobody heard anything. Then walks back over and grabs Perkins's body and drags him over to his bunk. McCready gets his body up into the bunk, then puts a dirty blanket over him, then steps back. There you go, Lieutenant. Snug as a bug in a fucking rug. <laughs> McCready walks over and picks up the pillow and steps over to Marler again, but stops when he hears the voices of the men coming back. Shit. McCready tosses the pillow on the top bunk, then hurries out the back door, just as the front door opens. McCready carefully runs around the barracks, stopping at the front corner, and watches as the last couple men walk in. Then he quickly follows in behind them. McCready claps his hands together. Let's go, everybody. Lights out. It's going to be a busy day tomorrow. McCready flips the light switch on and off several times before finally turning it off. The next morning, McCready sits on the edge of his bunk, watching the other men gathered around Perkins's bunk. What the fuck do you think happened to him? I mean, shit, he seemed fine just yesterday. I have no idea. The spooky-ass thing is why are his eyes open all wide and shit? That's creepy. McCready jumps down from his bunk. What the hell does it matter what happened to him? The guy was always high-strung. Poor son of a bitch probably had a heart attack. The front door swings open, and an armed guard hurries in, followed by Hertz, causing the men to quickly get in a line as Hertz looks over at Perkins in his bunk. I must admit that I have always lived by the golden rule that his leaders must lead by example. So I must ask myself, Lieutenant, why is it that you are the last one of your men to get in place on the line? Perhaps you're staging some kinds of protest? Hertz stares at Perkins. Sir, I believe... Hertz pulls a knife out and spins around, pointing it at McCready. Did I ask a question of you? Hertz storms over to McCready, looking at his rank insignia, then at him. Sergeant. The reason Lieutenant Perkins is not lined up, sir, is because he is dead. Hertz slowly puts the knife away, then walks over to Perkins' bunk and looks down at him, putting his finger on the side of his throat. It would appear your diagnosis of the lieutenant is correct, Sergeant. That would certainly explain his lack of response. Hertz looks over at Marler, mumbling in his bunk. It would appear we have another opening for the leadership of these barracks, and the good captain seems unable to regain his abilities. Hertz turns and walks back over to McCready. You are next in line, correct? McCready nods his head yes. That is correct, sir. Hertz turns to his armed guard. Get the old man. 
He's got work. Hertz turns back to McCready. I'm expecting big things from you, Sergeant. Do not disappoint me. Is that understood? Yes, sir. Hertz smiles, then turns around and walks toward the door as he motions for his guards to grab Perkett's body. Later that day, McCready is standing by his bunk when the door opens and one of the guards walks in with Lucas behind him. McCready snaps his fingers, then points at Perkins's bunk. It's this one. The guard posts up at the door as Lucas walks over to Perkins' bunk, looking down at the trunk, then at McCready. Would you be as kind as to help me? Of course. McCready leans down and grabs an end of the trunk, then leans across it, getting closer to Lucas. Tonight. Lucas nods his head yes. Ah. Maintenance building after 3 a.m. McCready smiles. Then they pick up the trunk and walk out of the barracks. McCready, using the barracks as cover, slowly makes his way across the camp in the early morning hours toward the maintenance building. With his back against the outside wall of Hertz's building, he hears a woman crying. He steps over to a window and carefully looks in, finding a woman sitting on the edge of a bed crying. The door to her bedroom opens and Hertz comes walking in and right up to her. You've had enough time to cry. He reaches down and unzips his pants. Open your mouth. Hertz grabs the woman's mouth and forces it open as McCready looks away. Asshole. McCready continues on his way toward the maintenance building. McCready carefully opens a side window on the maintenance building and slides in, scanning the room, finding a wooden coffin sitting on a table that is illuminated by a single bulb hanging from the ceiling by a frayed cord. My chariot awaits. McCready walks up to the coffin and grabs hold of the lid, but it doesn't budge. What the fuck? McCready pulls on it some more, then realizes it has been nailed shut. Shit, he never said anything about it being nailed shut. McCready looks around the room and finds a pry bar leaning against the wall. I will do the trick. McCready grabs the pry bar and goes to work carefully prying up the nails. On the last nail, the pry bar slips and swings up, smashing the light hanging overhead, sending broken glass onto the floor. Shit! McCready hurries over to the window and looks out, scanning the courtyard, but finds it empty then carefully sweeps up the glass from the bulb with his hands and puts it in the corner of the room. One more nail. McCready takes the pry bar and is about to pry the nail when he hears several voices approaching. Oh, shit. McCready quickly puts the pry bar back against the wall, then grabs the coffin lid and pushes it up as far as it will go then squeezes himself in, then closes the lid. 
McCready, uncomfortable, lays on top of the body in pitch blackness. Hey, Lieutenant. Hope you don't mind me catching a ride with you. <laughs> don't worry, I won't be bothering you for very long. For some reason, I thought you were skinnier and shit. The door can be heard opening, followed by several people talking in German. Then the coffin can be felt being picked up. McCready, breathing heavy, continues to lay still as the coffin can be felt being lowered into the ground, followed by dirt falling on the lid. This is just temporary. Keep your composure, stay calm. You're only going to be stuck down here for a little bit, then you're home free. Dirt continues to pound the top of the coffin as McCready shifts around. Just so you know, Lieutenant, I have absolutely no remorse for taking your sorry excuse for life. You never did a damn thing for the guys. McCready, struggling, reaches into his pocket and pulls a lighter out and tries several times to light it, but nothing happens. Come on already, you piece of shit. Light. The next flick brings the lighter to life. Finally. McCready looks down at the body and his mouth drops open in horror as he finds Lucas. What the fuck? This isn't right. You, you're supposed to be digging me up. No, 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 you can't be dead. Terrified, McCready drops the lighter, snuffing the light out as he screams. Fucking stop already! I'm alive! Get me out of here! Stop burying me! Flipping over, he frantically pounds on the lid of the coffin. Help me, goddammit! Get me out of here! Just stop! You're making a fucking mistake! A young man in tattered clothing shovels the last of the dirt over the fresh grave and steps back to admire his handiwork when the sound of faint screaming draws his attention. McCready pounds his fists against the lid of the coffin as he screams out. Hey! I'm in here! Get me the fuck out of here! Don't bury me alive! The young man looks down at the grave in horror, then quickly grabs the shovel and frantically digs. Please! Don't let me die like this! Somebody help me! The young man continues to shovel when all of a sudden the prison camp is rocked by a series of explosions that knocks the young man off his feet. The young man slowly gets to his feet, grabbing the shovel and is about to dig again when a collection of American soldiers come walking out of the woods with weapons raised. Franklin, in his 20s, is the first soldier to notice the young man. Hey you, don't do anything stupid now. Just get your ass on the ground. The young man holding the shovel stands frozen as he stares at Franklin. What the hell is wrong with you? I said get on the ground. Franklin motions with the gun to the ground when Smith, in his 40s, comes walking around Franklin and without warning fires his rifle, sending a round through the chest of the young man, dropping him on top of the grave. Jesus Christ, Smith! What the fuck you do that for? He didn't even have a weapon! Smith walks up and spits on the young man's body. 
What the hell is wrong with you, Franklin? You don't think that shovel could have been used as a weapon? He was just waiting for you to get closer. Anyways, the only good German is a dead German. Several more explosions pummel the area in the prison camp, where the German soldiers are housed as more soldiers stream out of the woods, flooding the camp. Franklin, disgusted, looks down at the young man. This war is turning everybody into animals. How could this be okay? It's just a kid, for Christ's sake. Smith smacks Franklin on the back. Let it go already, Franklin. Fuck that piece of shit. It's kill or be killed. That little fucker certainly didn't have your best interest at heart. You need to get your head back in the game. Smith looks back at the camp, then at Franklin. McCready and our boys have been in this shithole long enough. If Perkins wasn't able to get those coded messages out, they would have all surely died in this place. Smith reaches into his pack and pulls out a small bottle of whiskey. It's McCready's favorite. He's going to shit his pants when he sees us. McCready, crying, pounds his bloody fists on the coffin lid as he screams with all his energy. I'm in here! I'm alive! Help me! Franklin looks down at the grave. What's your deal, Franklin? Maybe it's everything I've seen and heard lately, but I could swear I could hear somebody screaming from that grave. Did you not hear that? Oh, I heard screaming all right. I heard all those bastards screaming that we've got them on the run. Now suck it up and move your ass. I don't want to miss out on any of this shit. Smith grabs hold of Franklin and pulls him toward a hole in the fence line as more soldiers come out of the woods and trample over the grave. McCready, struggling to breathe, continues to pound on the lid, screaming. Please! I can't die like this! This is not how it was supposed to happen! Explosions and gunfire can be heard as McCready labors to breathe. This concludes the twisted tale, The Pine Box. Remember to keep those ears open for upcoming episodes of Twisted Tales of Madness and Murder Presents, wherever podcasts are found.